Welcome to Bewildered. I'm Martha Beck, here with Rowan Mangan. At this crazy moment in history, a lot of people are feeling bewildered, but that actually may be a sign we're on track. Human culture teaches us to come to consensus, but nature, our own true nature, helps us come to our senses. Rowan and I believe that the best way to figure it all out is by going through bewilderment into bewilderment. That's why we're here. For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, A few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025. But I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass. And we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star. Hi, I'm Martha Beck. And I'm Rowan Mangan, and you have reached another episode of Bewildered. You know us, we're the people who do the podcast for the people who are trying to figure it out. How you doing, Marty? I'm doing okay, seeing as how um, our toddler is on her nanny cam, is not napping, but wearing underpants on her head. And I'm just Mm. relaxed about that. Going to go ahead and record. How about you? How are you feeling? Yeah, about the same. Um, She's staring up at the, it's not a nanny cam, it's a baby monitor with a video Mm. and um, she's sort of looking up at it like, I know what this is. I know this is some (laughs) sort of Orwellian dystopia that you've got me in here. Yeah. The eyes looking out from the leg holes of those underpants are (laughs) chilling. (laughs) It's a very strange sort of little superhero. (laughs) So what are you trying to figure out? I am trying to figure out, oh, I always feel overwhelmed by this question. <laughs> this is already always so many things. Um, I have an issue. Mm-hmm. I have an issue in my body, in a part of yes. my body that I've been told is, is called the adductors. Adductors, yes. And when I try to talk about it, it's a pain and potentially, I don't know, something's NQR in there, not quite right. Um, And it's hard to talk about because when I'm in person, I try to talk to someone about it. I have to touch my very uppermost, innermost thighs. And (laughs) that's just distracting for everyone, but it's it's important to to be... It's important to, to explain be, this. You have to touch that. <laughs> I do. I do to explain it. And but you don't I have, have to, to make them touch it. <laughs> no. But anyway, I I have a thing in that area where I I want to click. I want to do a little click. And um, you know what I'm talking about when you like no. a, do an adjustment, an inner adjustment, oh, like, like a little you know, like cracking your knuckles or whatever. Exactly, it's something like that. I don't know what sorts of parts are involved. If it's like tendons or bones, I, I wouldn't have a clue. I don't, I don't know much about bodies, but <laughs> I know that there's this like 
it's very hard to achieve the click, but when I get there, the relief is indescribable. It's just like I feel like instantly so good, just so good. And I had a weird experience with it um, a couple of weeks ago. It was really bothering me and I was out. It was early in the morning and I was at the supermarket mm. and walking around and like, oh, God, this thing is really bugging me. And you know what I'm talking about, like when there's something where there's like pain until you yeah. can like suddenly ears, release it. Your ear is getting blocked up and then they pop and it's like, oh. Yeah. 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 yeah kind of like that, but like more painful, I would say. Equally distracting and annoying. Mm. So. I'm in the supermarket. It's early in the morning. I think it was on the weekend. No one was there. And I'm walking along with the trolley. The, sorry, the cart. Cart. The cart with, with the cup holders. With the cart with the cup holders. And I was just like absently, as I shopped, trying to create the movement that gives me the, <laughs> the click, <laughs> but I think gives me the click. And what it actually is, Marty, is some form of kick, <laughs> kicking my leg straight out to the side, like just my thigh, like my <laughs> my little rest of my leg isn't as involved. It can do whatever it wants. But it's just like this thing of like trying to kick my leg directly out to the side, which is quite hard when your focus <laughs> is your thigh. It's not your toes going true. out. Especially your inner thigh. Yes, innermost, uppermost. <laughs> innermost, uppermost. I mean, there are different names for that, but adductor will have to do. <laughs> we all think a lot about our innermost, uppermost thighs, right? <laughs> and so I'm in this empty aisle and I think I'm just going to make this happen. I'm going to just stand here until <laughs> it happens because I will feel so good and I'll be able to <laughs> shop without distraction. <laughs> And so I start getting really into it and I'm – because there's something to do with the hips, there's something to do with the thighs. There's like a kick it out, kick it out. and But you have to sort of wiggle. I get the best results from this, incidentally, if, if anyone else has the similar problem. When I'm on the elliptical machine and if I just oh. start kicking my knees out to the side and really like leaning into it. That is not a graceful image, honey. The idea that anything I describe trying to do with my body could be described as graceful is hilarious to me. So anyway, I'm doing a sneaky leg wiggle in the empty aisle. (laughs) I'm leaning into it with my hip. I'm wobbling. I'm wiggling. I'm sticking my leg out to the side. And this old man (laughs) walks around the corner. And honestly, he, he looks at me and there's no category in his head to explain what on earth I am doing. I don't think there is in anyone's head, Ro. It doesn't look like stretching or exercise or whatever you would call. I don't know. It it just, it was just really strange behavior. And he was suddenly as acutely aware as I was about (laughs) how relatively empty the supermarket was. And he, yeah, anyway, he literally backed away. (laughs) He thought, I don't need oatmeal that badly. I'm just going to leave her to her thing. In her innermost, uppermost thighs. Yeah, I've seen you trying to release your innermost, uppermost thigh. And it reminds me of being in biology when we dissected frogs. Uh And Mm. you touch the nerve and the leg just kicks Mm. out really suddenly and violently. Mm. And, And it does look a little like a martial arts move. I do think he legitimately was probably afraid that you were just going to take out his knees. 
I love that you think that. That is the kindest possible interpretation of what <laughs> happened between me and that old man. And I really appreciate you for that. Thank you. Tell me what you are trying to figure out. Oh, yeah. Mine is um, <laughs> we've been very busy lately, so busy that even Karen herself, the great Carrie Koo, who drives everywhere and does all the shopping and whatnot. Except for the um, mine on an early Saturday morning yes, with exactly a leg wiggle. Well. She's the only one they allow in the store anymore. <laughs> but um, we were going to go get something. I needed to, oh, I needed to drop off um, something in the mailbox. So she was going to come along because I wasn't quite sure where the mailbox was. And I cannot follow directions. <laughs> It's not, I'm not able to do things that other people do. And yes, I have GPS in my car, but you know, there are problems making that work. The The interface with the car doesn't always work right. Whatever. Anyway, I had Carrie Koo as my three-dimensional living hot-blooded GPS that was going to tell me everything I needed to know. And she took the task to heart. And I thought, I've got to make an app that actually from your car talks to you, the way Karen talks to you about where you should go. Okay, Marty, take a right, take a right. There's a street, there's a street, take a right. Okay, <laughs> stay in your lane, stay in your lane, stay in your lane. Okay, all right, oh, oh, a stop sign, a stop sign. <laughs> yeah, I see it, it's way ahead of us. <laughs> okay, but it's a stop sign. Okay, oh my God, that car, there's a car coming toward us. Yes, I see that. Wouldn't it be great to have your car just yelling these things at you? And then, we go to the post office, I drop off my thing, and, and then I say, well, I'm going to the, um, I need to buy gift wrapping at this store. So I say, I'm going to the Hallmark store, or whatever it was, to get gift wrapping. And she says, yes, there's a store up there where you can get gift wrapping. I was like, yes, I said that. She, so she said, okay, turn right, turn right. Okay, now go into the parking lot. There's a parking lot. Go into the parking lot. Look. There is the wrapping paper store. And it's it was so much better than your destination is ahead of you on the right. She's like, there it is. Go toward it, Marty. Go toward the store. The parking lot was completely empty. She's like, this is a parking lot. <laughs> Take a space. Take any space. <laughs> and I just thought, we all, you know, it just... Talk about feeling like there was someone looking out for me. Talk about Jesus take the wheel. It was an experience in being steered through the mind of Carrie Koo that I think everyone needs to um, experience. So I'm trying to figure out how to turn a Google app or a Google map or whatever into something that uh, has very high anxiety mm -hmm. and a kind of random attention field that is both scattered but extremely intense you feel like this is something you you'd like more of in your life yeah well i want other people to have it so they'll come for life coaching mm. yeah no that makes sense i mean I, d I feel like anxiety from your your robot servant voice is probably not ideal but better than what i usually encounter which is this sort of smug bored kind of yeah I'm sick of you and your shit kind of tone yeah. that I usually your get. Your Siri is really a bitch. She is. She really is. She is. She, this is this is my Siri. <sighs> Rerouting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just like uh, the attitude. 
Like, well, I know where I'm going. Here's the problem I have with my Siri, and it's not she. She doesn't do the bitch voice like yours does. I don't know why yours does that. But what she will do is she doesn't. You know how you get something that's kind of right, like you remember you were going to like Angels Harvest Organic Store, and it's really Angels Bounty Organic Store. But your friend knows, you know, like Carrie Coot knows. I need to go to the Angels Bounty Angels Harvest. What six of one, half a dozen of the other. My Siri does not make that leap for me. I was Mm. driving along trying to go to like True North Organic Foods or whatever. And I said, Siri, navigate to True North Organic Foods. And she's like, turn right, turn left, go far. And then like 10 miles later, I'm like, how, Siri, what, tell me the route. We're going to True North Organic Store in like Wilmington, Delaware, at a distance of 400 miles. And so I end up doing a lot of long trips towards stores that have names that I have spoken to Siri. Mm. but And they actually exist, but they are very far away. And you'd think she would get it by now that I'm just roughly going for the label of a store I've been to before. And she should just, it's close. I would Ma- just- Maybe yeah. we should be reassured that AI, or at least our mainstream AI, isn't yet at the point where they go, I hear you say this, Martha, but I think knowing you, I think you will find, this is what mine would say, I think you mean <laughs> the, nee, 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 nee. that's what mine nee, would say. Nee. Oh, I think you'll find that <laughs> what you are asking me for doesn't exist. Hey, have we ever talked about our experience with the GPS in San Jose? California. That was a really good one. I think we ought to just tell the story, whether or not it takes us 25 minutes of people's random day. It's that entertaining. I want to hear it. We went to San Jose. I had booked us a hotel. It was a beautiful hotel. We went to San Jose. It was it, When we got there, it was raining and stressful. And I was trying to find the hotel and I was following the Google and the Google gave up on me. It just went you've arrived. And I'm like, I haven't arrived. I'm in the middle of the freaking road in the middle of nowhere. There's no hotel here. What are you doing to me? Silicon Valley is terrifying. Everyone drives too aggressively. And I, I don't understand where our beautiful hotel that I saw pictures of that had like umbrellas and lovely places to seaside places. Actually, now that I think about it, lovely (laughs) seaside villa in In San San Jose. Jose. And that's when we realized we were in the wrong country. Mm-hmm. We were navigating yeah. to a hotel in the middle of San Jose, Costa Rica. Mm. And we were in the San Jose, California, and we were in the precise address that we had fed in. But it was the middle of a major thoroughfare with business buildings all around us. It was on the median and it said, you have reached your destination, sleep here tonight. And we were looking around going, is the hotel incredibly tiny? Is it for leprechauns? Is it under the median? We were not, yeah. we were not at all dealing with it that calmly. We, we sounded like, like Karen trying to give directions. It was not pretty. And then uh, in a later episode, sometime we'll tell you about when we eventually found a hotel in San Jose, California and had to, had to check in. <laughs> With both our homemade cheesecakes. With two homemade cheesecakes, not Mm. pretty ones either. Mm -mm. Aluminum foil on the top. Anyway, you know what? I I have a really good idea. Let's talk about today's topic. We'll be right back with more Bewildered. 
We don't say this enough. We are so glad you're a bewildered listener. And we're hoping you might want to go to the next level with us. By which I mean, if you rate and review the podcast, it helps new people find us. So we can keep bewildering new souls. And you know how much we love that. Ratings are very much appreciated. Obviously, the more stars you give us, the more appreciation is forthcoming. Reviews are quite simply heaven and we read everyone and exclaim over them. And we just love you all. Mwah. For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, a few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025, but I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass. And we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star. So Marty, today yes. we're talking about feeling our big feelings. And like most of our topics these days, it is toddler-inspired. We have a toddler who's very in touch with her big feelings Mm -hmm. and we're learning a lot. And at the same time, we're sort of (laughs) – there's stuff happening around us in the world that is quite hard to bear, I think it's fair to say, and is Mm -hmm. giving me some big feelings. Um, Yeah, me too. And we're – Watching our three-year-old respond to things that are hard for her and her response makes more sense to me a lot of the time (laughs) than my own. Um, And yet still there's this urge to suppress, like in her, in myself, why do we want to suppress big feelings is what I want to talk about today. Why does the culture seem to want us to suppress our big feelings? Yeah. Yeah, and not just big feelings. I mean, when you say toddler, you immediately think tantrum. And of I know course, I do. We, yeah, well, I immediately have a tantrum, <laughs> but only inside. That's the key. We learn to keep it inside. So mm-hmm. it's not just, though, the big tantrum feelings. It's also because tantrums are often frustration and anger, but there's also the big grief that you can feel looking at Mm. things that are happening in the world. And there is also something that doesn't look active at all. It's just feeling so slammed in the face by the wrecking ball of whatever's coming at you that you just go limp. You just sort of give up and lie down. And that's Mm. another level of big feeling. Mm. Mm, Yeah, true. Yeah, I mean, I guess we're kind of talking about any expression of a feeling that's big enough to reroute your day. The expression Mm. is big enough to root your day, whether that's expressing it through action and noise or expressing it through stillness and silence, right? That's so interesting that it reroutes your day because, yeah, you you either have to stop and process uh, a very active thing pushing at you from the inside, but then there's also the, the, what I've been experiencing a lot, which is 
uh, it looks like stillness. It might look like a sort of divine stillness, but it's not. It's um, it's a complete flatlining that happens when we get so overwhelmed by a feeling that our nervous systems don't know how to process it at all. Yeah, this is so interesting. You've been telling me about the research you're doing at the moment that like if I'm understanding it correctly, there's like an override system in our bodies that like once whatever faculty judges that we've we've been in fight or flight for too long, it's like now you will stop. Now you will just literally lie yeah. down. Yeah, there's a whole school of thought that started actually with a, a guy who was doing, he was analyzing the nervous system to deal with newborns and preemies, uh, little babies uh, that are that have to confront the world before they're quite ready. Mm. And he found these three levels of nervous system stabilization, if you want to call it that, the nervous uh, sort of states of the nervous system. And they evolved um, over time. And the first to evolve uh, in very, very ancient organisms is in the gut. And it's a connection between the brain and the gut. Then up a little higher in your nervous system around your chest area, there is a different level of like arousal of the nervous system. And then there's one higher up. So long story short, if, if we're completely regulated, and that's a big popular word now, especially if you have a toddler, but it's <laughs> feeling regulated in your system is feeling relaxed, open, connected. And that's when the whole nervous system is sort of awake and accessible. When you get scared, you go to a level called sympathetic vagal arousal. And that's where the fight or flight stuff happens. That's where you're very active, you're running. And so a, a big feeling that could reroute your day is I am suddenly terrified of what's happening in the world, or I am so grief stricken that I literally can't make it to the dentist or whatever it is. Um, but it would be an active avoidance or pushback, anything fight, flight, or fawning is another thing you you people please in order to make yourself feel safer and keep yourself safe with other people. And then if you are in a situation that your nervous system sees as inescapable, so either it's gone on for so long that it thinks I'm never getting out of this state of anxiety, which is where I think most people spend most of their time, by the way. Um, I am literally just going to hit the power switch on the entire machine. I am going to put you into something called dorsal collapse or tonic collapse is another word for it. You have no tone. You just literally fall. And, and that's what happens when somebody is so emotional that they pass out. And I've had that happen. Um, and it happens to a lot of people just because of the pressures of everyday life. And these, so the, the fight or flight stuff and the total collapse stuff, here's what I want everyone out there to hear. These are involuntary biological relax, uh, reactions. They are not self-serving. They are not lazy. They are not um, inconsiderate. They are ancient strategies that your nervous system evolved to keep you alive. And so it feels really cruel to me when the world looks at those big reactions and says, you're not supposed to have those. You mustn't have those. You mayn't have those. And there's no way we cannot have them. Mm, mm, that's right. God, that's so true of so many things. Actually, it's funny because we were talking about something being productive, right? 
which is always mm. a funny word for us on this podcast because, um, you know, it's a word that we know the culture loves. Be productive. But you had a great metaphor around it, Marty, about about coughing that worked really well for big yeah. feelings. Yeah, coughing is like a, a, a kind of big feeling. So <laughs> when I was when I was young, I used to, and I got sick all the time because I never slept much. And I remember going to debate meets as a teenager and taking tons of cough suppressants because I didn't want to cough in the middle of a competition or a speech or whatever. And we thought that was just good medicine. You got to cough. You get something that relaxes those muscles and suppresses the motion in them so you don't cough. And later I learned that's a way of dying <laughs> because coughing is nature's way of getting rid of an infection. So then I switched when I get a cold now, you want to get expectorants, which create, it says on the on the packaging, will create a productive cough, woo. which is like, woo, it's, yeah, it's the culture just having colonized the cough now, you will produce. <laughs> and it means that you actually get stuff to come up and out of your lungs and that stuff takes the virus away and, and you're actually cleaning out your system, your lungs. So big feelings are the same way. If you just suppress them and don't feel them. They stay in there as toxicity or infection that has entered the system. And I think that those huge emotions we can get, um, those are the way our emotional systems cough out the worst of what we've encountered so that our systems can get back into a healthy balance. And we're supposed to suppress that. We have mm -hmm. like, there are so many things in our culture, there's medication, therapies, all kinds of things that are meant to make you feel it less. Mm. And God knows when it hurts, I want to feel it less. But mm. what if that just keeps the infection inside? What if we need productive, big feelings to yeah. stay healthy? Yeah, even Please. when even when expressing those big feelings stops us being productive in the culture's mm. definition, right? That's Absolutely. the, the rerouting your day thing. So as far yeah. as like what what does the culture say about feeling our big feelings, I think it's probably safe to say that it is not in favour, which is why, no. you know, <laughs> to take one example, we're all so freaked out by our kids having tantrums rather than just being like, yeah, cool. Yeah, man. Yeah. Me too, man. <laughs> Which is what we're really feeling on the inside. And we you know, it's just it's fascinating to watch um like I remember watching Sense and Sensibility, the um the one that Emma Thompson wrote and starred in. And you look at how, for example, in that part of so nineteenth century British society, which still influences our culture a lot, even the slightest rise in vocal tone, even like tearing up is just considered unseemly. So then you have a three-year-old who hasn't been trained that way. And you see them expressing their feelings the way biologically they're programmed to do it. Mm. And you realize that you're supposed to, culturally, we're supposed to take that away and turn this child into a robotic creature. And and you feel the, the pressure of that yes. in the moment. Like you can feel the culture trying to act through your own body. Like, oh, stop it. Stop yep. it. Less, less, please less. And exactly. And and it's so much worse. You were telling me the other day, It's it's you, I can handle it except when I have to 
I have to get to something on time, mm-hmm. or we absolutely have to do a certain task. And I was thinking time bound and task bound. That is how the culture wants us. It wants that's us the, to do that's the kind of productive it wants us to be. Correct. Yes, it's very much the factory again. You do the task you were meant to do at the time you were meant to do it. And frankly, once we've got those two things from you, we don't want anything else. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. Uh, so th- there's that, like it's it's not productive, but I think it's also that um, displays of big feelings, even when that's that sort of stillness that could come with, with grief or, or dorsal collapse or whatever, they're uncomfortable. And that isn't, um, that sort of discomfort, I think, isn't easily slotted into the culture's categories. Yeah, yeah. It- as that reminds me of the little old man in the supermarket. I mean, what emotion yeah. did he think you were trying to express by kicking violently just with your thigh, not the rest of your leg, out to one <laughs> side? Yeah, yeah. It was an expression of of some deep feeling that he did not fit into categories. Anyway. I mean, I assume I assume he he thought I was dancing or attempting to dance. Um. Well, maybe you were doing something a little different than what you do around the house then. <laughs> no, I don't know. You look, I think it was quite, it's quite consistent. Beautiful. Yeah, it's a great move. I wish I could master it. <laughs> so do I. Anyway, oh. the whole thing is like, you know, you, if you get a productive cough, at least, I mean, we're good with not suppressing it, but you cough into a tissue, a clean as your elbow if you've got nothing else, and then you Put it where no one can see it. We do not want to see the yucky stuff that our emotional systems cough up when we let ourselves feel and when the feeling is productive and it's moving it out of our bodies. Like, yeah, I I remember once being in a therapy session, an actual group therapy session, and I expressed anger and the therapy group almost broke up. Mm. They were like, no, no, we know what happened to you, and we know we can see all the things that are making you angry, but showing us the anger itself is just too much. That's we can't we cannot look at that. And I was like, damn, if you can't do it in therapy, yeah, where can you, you do it? You know, I was yeah. reading this article just this past week um, by a woman called Catherine Rowland. It was in the Guardian. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, and it was so amazing. And it was specifically about like the wellness industry, big wellness. Mm-hmm. And, big wellness. <laughs> and what, what she says in her, uh, like in the headline, I think in the title of the piece is women are being sedated. And she mm-hmm. uses this word by the idea of like self-care because the, what the message we're being sold is if you're stressed, it's because you're not having enough bubble baths or booking enough massages it's not mm. because the the system the the structures of the culture around you are inherently stressful or putting right. an untenable burden on you it's just yeah. you need i think you need a yoga class oh, you God. need to unwind it's fine everything and, and man just do a little know, self-care little self-care. And sometimes they recommend that for males, but what they usually tell males to do is if you're feeling anything, get more aggressive, get more productive and crush the opposition. So that, And that's another way of not allowing a full range of feeling. Um, and both of them dismiss all the context that creates huge feelings in all of us. And 
That's what I think that's what Roland's getting at. Yeah. Yeah. And so all of us, whatever our gender, but I do think there's a particular push to, I mean, there's always been um, a selective pressure on identified females to be subdued, right? <laughs> to keep yeah. it to themselves. But then you look at the conditions at the, at the events happening around it, the, the context in which our big feelings are being formed, we're getting information about things that are so dreadful that if you don't have a huge feeling about it, I don't understand how you're even human, you know? Like, well, I mean, I think there's a lot of, of you know, it's hard to say that because then we're, we're being encouraged to to resist those big feelings. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think, I think someone who's doing their best in the culture isn't, it's not their humanity that's shut down. It's the um, impossibility of, of the situation. And I think we can choose, we choose to reject taking that context in sometimes because oh, yeah. we can't afford big feelings right now. I'll say you know, more. It's like, well, like, you know, you, I can't look at, the poverty and the genocide and the polar ice caps right now because I've got a report that has to get in by three or my boss right. is going to be mad and then right. I go into existential whatever about feeding my kids or whatever it is, you know, like yeah, it's just yeah. like yeah. Um, we, we push so hard against knowing, like bearing witness to mm. horrors if mm. – um, if they get in the way of our productivity. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit like, uh, yeah. Buddha going out and seeing the life outside the palace and all the horror. And he was supposed to go back and just be the prince again. And he couldn't keep doing it. He had to deal with that context and he wasn't okay till he figured it out many years later. It reminds me a little bit of, um, a set of experiments by Bruce Alexander, I think it was in the 1990s. Um, he had come back from Vietnam where he'd done a lot of drugs and he, along with fellow soldiers. And there were a few that became lifelong addicts, but by and large, all of his friends and he stopped taking drugs like heroin as soon as they came home and they had flu-like symptoms for a week and they were fine. And then some of them became lifelong addicts. So he became, Bruce Alexander became a psychologist and he was looking at the experiments that showed how addictive these substances are, and they really are. And he wondered why he was able to quit and his, some of his friends were. And, and he decided maybe it was about context. And he looked at all the experiments done on rats, which are actually quite surprisingly similar to us biologically, so they can do a lot of like addiction experiments with them. There are all these experiments showing that rats were totally addicted to things like heroin and cat. And he was mainly looking at heroin. Yeah, just heroin. But he noticed something that had never been mentioned in all the other studies, which was that every single rat being tested was in a cage. Mm -hmm. It occurred to him that rats don't like cages that much. So he built this enclosure called Rat Park. And it was like 200 square feet. And it had like a beautiful landscape and rolling hills made out of like cardboard and a place to, to mate and a place to eat and rat toys everywhere. Took all these heroin addicted rats 
put, took them out of their cages, put them in Rat Park. And then he gave them an, a selection between plain water and water laced with heroin. All these addicted rats switched to plain water when they were in Rat Park. I don't know if I talked about this on the podcast before. It's, it deserves so. to be talked about. It's been yeah. called the most undeservedly unfamous experiment in psychology. Well, that's but there's a reason for that. It's not serving the culture's agenda, right? Because mm -hmm. you go straight from Rat Park to, hang on a second. So maybe it was the experience of fighting in a totally unjust war that was fucking them up and right. not the heroine, and then you can see all kinds of other agendas because, you know, like there's a war on drugs, but there's not a war on war. Know what I'm saying? Yeah, if yeah. If anything, let's let's call, a, you know, a ceasefire on, on any war on war. <laughs> let's right. just war more. <laughs> let, me, let me make a, a point because I don't want anyone to get the wrong idea. I do believe that heroin was messing them up, but they were using the heroin to cope with a situation that was – messing them up way more. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, so they a were, good, that's a good distinction to make. But I think the point is exactly the same as Catherine Rowland's in the sense that yes. it's being used as a sedative. Yes. Uh, that you, to, to like we're, we're doing it to ourselves for sure, mm -hmm. but we're serving the culture's agenda by sedating ourselves to make life bearable. Right. Whatever <laughs> cage, would, whatever cage you're in, whatever life you're in, Basically, you seek a level of homeostasis if, if you're not allowed to process big feelings and allow them to move your activities and shape your your thoughts and philosophy. If you're the, forced to live in the same cage all the time, you use whatever you can to calm down, to suppress the cough. Yeah. Meanwhile, the infection's still in you, right? Yeah. So the culture says, no, do not, in places that are toxic and infectious, act as if you're healthy and don't have an immune reaction at all. Just right. keep going as if nothing's happened. As if the, like, because what we're saying is the pain is, is productive. You know, it yeah. has to move like a cough, like a virus moving through us. If we don't yeah. let it move through us, the toxins are just going to fester, which yeah. ultimately doesn't serve the culture either. <laughs> Yeah, the emotion moves like a cough, and it doesn't. It it not only moves us; it actually transmutes us. It mm. um, and here the analogy breaks down, and I have to reach for another one. It's more like the forger's fire. It actually it kills you, but recreates you, and um, mm. that's something that is in the hero saga of every culture that the hero goes through trials that break him apart or her apart, and then recreate the hero. Right, and and we've talked before on the podcast about how all change really is a death and rebirth, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. In in our identity and who we are, and so all change um, follows that death and rebirth. And I really got a big dose of how we're supposed to move through your life without letting the big feelings transmute you. When I was at Harvard and my son had his Down syndrome diagnosis prenatally, and late in the pregnancy, but still prenatal, and. I had to go through all the um, formal like tax things and inheritance things. I had to change a lot of paperwork um, having to do with Adam's future because he was never going to be a quote normal uh, 
person. So here I am, I'm 25 years old. I'm trying, I'm six months pregnant and I'm trying to deal with this. And the idea was I had to move through it with the same kind of speed and efficiency and good humor that I would have done any other piece of paperwork or homework or whatever. Mm -hmm. And if I, and everyone that I was dealing with, if I showed any emotion about it, would say, well, clearly you're making the wrong decision. You need to terminate the pregnancy. It wasn't really legal by that point anyway, but they were still urging me to. And what I kept thinking was, even if I do terminate the pregnancy, which I think is just fine, if that's what you're, you feel you want, is right for you, absolutely. I will still have to go through a lot of grief. Mm. This is an intensely emotional experience for me. It is not just different paperwork. <laughs> yeah. I'm human here. And, and it really was like dealing with a series of robots who mm -hmm. were telling me, oh, you have a feeling? Well, then go deal with it. Come back mm -hmm. here. You know, go take care of it. You shouldn't, you shouldn't do anything that's making you have a big feeling. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you must be so, doing the wrong thing. Yes, do exactly. Thing. And, 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 and the problem was, has to be solved by doing as well. Mm, by taking yeah. action in the world. Yeah, taking action, getting knowledge. No, I remember thinking knowledge is power and I got all this information and it just hurt and hurt and hurt. And I finally realized that knowledge was not power necessarily. And it was a kind of power to take a kind of action, but it was not the power that was going to enable me to absorb this experience into my life story into my identity. I was being broken. My, my identity was being broken apart. My thoughts about my child were broken apart and sort of taken down to the bare boards so that something else could come in its place so that there would be a complete transmutation. And I wasn't old enough to know then that grief so strong, it shakes your teeth was a productive sensation and was leading me mm. towards something powerful, natural, and good mm. because I was just told, don't have those feelings. Yeah. And the, and the culture doesn't want us to become something different in that way and something that it can't contain as easily. You know, it, it reminds me of, there's a really beautiful little snatch of song that um, I saw recently online that we'll link to. It's the Bengsons, and um, it's it's called, I think it's called "Don't Numb to This," and um, really encourage people to listen to it. It's very beautiful, sort of gospel feeling, um, simple a cappella song. But she did, and she says, you know, "Don't numb to this. Let yourself breathe in and out. You're strong enough to feel it all. It'll keep your heart alive." And yeah. I love that because at a certain point. If you numb yourself, whether you're numbing with sedatives that are substances or activities or whatever, you know, yeah. um, you your heart won't be able to survive it. Yeah. Yeah. But if you keep breathing in and out and if you – she keeps saying you're strong enough to feel it. If you can do that, what happens is – you go past that fight, fight, flight state. You stop trying to do anything. You go to the place of total collapse. And at that moment, there is a sort of um, living death. 
and a surrender to the new situation, which is necessary for your heart to keep beating through the experience. And um, yeah, what should we what should we do about all this, Rowie? Like, what are you planning to do with this? <laughs> Let's figure it out in a minute. Something predictive. I've always been weird. <laughs> when I write and speak professionally, I have to tone it down, especially the part where I believe the universe loves us and is on our side. A few years ago, I decided to just show up online and say what I really think. This became The Gathering Pod, a series of discussions about how to thrive in a difficult world. So if you need hope, inspiration, or a chance to listen to someone much weirder than you could ever be, come join me on The Gathering Pod. So uh, you're with Bewildered with Marty and Roe. We're talking about big feelings as being productive, like a cough. And I was just thinking that another word for productive is powerful. And I was thinking that the natural role of big feelings is to help us gain a kind of inner power, not a cultural power, but something very different. Yeah, yeah I think where we talk about coming back to our senses, um, mm. it's really helpful to to frame this whole idea of big feelings up uh, through a, a lens of different kinds of power because, you know, I mean, I think we know that displays of emotion generally, especially, you know, tears or that sort of thing in, in public, that is framed by the culture as the opposite of power, right? As a, as a form of weakness. Oh, you're right. And so there's power as culture defines it, which um, is really, is, is quite a macho concept, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, you know, what I want to sort of think about is is a more feminine notion of power, a power that moves, mm. that breathes, that that feels it all, like the Bengtsen say, and, and keeps its heart alive, that yeah, kind of power. And it's so interesting because the, the power, I this is one of my soapboxes, I have so many, but the power of history is how many guys were able to kill how many people on a, on a given day, like how many mm. people did we manage to kill that day? And congratulations. Congratulations. There's nothing in the history books about the amount of power it took, the amount of dedication, ingenuity, tenacity, grit it takes to create a life and keep it going. Like mm. to not just um, have life come from you, but to continuously work to keep life going. Yeah. That's power, you know? God, yeah. And, and so, yeah, you do have big feelings when you're trying to uh, gain the power to be a creator and sustainer of life. And, and I think what the big feelings do, the way they detour our day, is they pull our attention off all the pressures around us about, you know, getting to the bank or whatever, and they turn our gaze inward. Hmm. And instead of brushing it aside, suppressing it and saying, okay, I wish it were, I wish this weren't happening. I'm going to act as if it isn't happening. Mm. We accept what is happening and then we grow large enough psychologically, spiritually to hold the reality of what is happening, which is not small, which is huge. Yeah. Wow. God, that's so true. And like talk about growing large enough. I was just thinking about 
Valerie Kaur is my personal hero at the moment and um, everyone should check out her book, See No Stranger. It is amazing. Um, she has a really beautiful reframe in, in terms of the, the, I guess, the collective sense of darkness that, that many of us feel about the time we're living in. And she, she says, what if this isn't the darkness of the tomb but the darkness of the womb mm. and talks about are we are we in the beginnings of a transition and she means it in mm-hmm. the sense of you know labor physical labor you know like she she has this whole um giving birth as the analogy for a sort of you know what you call the, the transformation of consciousness that that we're all hoping that we'll see in our lifetimes but you know mm. it's just like breathe and push that's what yeah. we've got to do, breathe yeah. and push. And she says uh, that's what the midwife says because if we don't push, we will die. Yeah. And, and the the whatever wants to be born will be stillborn. Um, it's like shutting off your big feelings. Shutting off, It keeps you from the desire to push. It's like uh, it being anesthetized to the point where your body can't do what it needs to do. It's suppressed emotion is like a kind of pneumonia of the soul it, mm. it, we just, it everything stays inside us and destroys us from within when instead we could be letting it go out and everybody goes ooh how gross that all the stuff you're putting out into the world you know the phlegm the babies <laughs> the afterbirth <laughs> okay it's gory it's not pretty yeah it's shocking and it's yeah. life yes it's the only way to sustain life Oh my god! Oh my god! Yeah, and there's—it's so interesting how that mess is so. It's such an inherent, um, deep, deep part of the feminine. I've never really thought about it like that. There's a um, that in that messiness, whether it's phlegm or babies or placentas <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> menstruation, like um, the the. Poet Laureate of the show, Annie DeFranco, might have mentioned her once or twice. Uh, she has a line about, or she actually has a whole song really that's all about like f- feeling our share of pain, like feeling pain as a right that we come into the world with. And um, in and through the pain, that's what it's the pain that teaches us that we're connected to everything, that we're not separate from everything. And it strikes me that the ego, which is can I mean we have our own whole language in here right but you can say the concept of ego could be analogous to um how we talk about culture or the system right you know the ego is like the in individual expression of of what the culture is doing at the collective level and and what the ego wants to say is we aren't connected I'm we are separate. I'm this yeah. one unitary separate being and there's there's no there's nothing. There's no there's no blood, there's no guts. Everything yes. was beautiful com- and nothing hurt. I'm completely okay and I am me and I am perfect and you will never get me. Yeah. Exactly. And and, and feeling our pain is a way to to stop identifying as ego in a way, yeah. maybe. But not just pain. I really want to reiterate, it's not, one of the things that culture robs us of is the knowledge of what it feels like to go through the ego death and into the birth of something else um, because we don't follow it far enough. So if you right, do because we stop it, at the pain so we never exactly. find out what's on the other side. Yeah. Exactly. So um, there, it, there's this 
it will it's scary down there don't go there instead of it's scary down there and it is rebirth it's scary down there and it is life and it will you will come out uh with a, a bigger soul and more capacity to love and all these positive things that are on the other side of the ugly feelings that society doesn't want us to feel when we do that we stop polarizing and we stop saying not just i am separate from you but we are separate from you we don't serve the us them mentality of the culture and i think that allowing people, especially women, or the more feminine aspects of all people, what if a, allowing us to feel really big feelings in a productive way turns us mm -hmm. into something that is threatening and frightening to the system? Yes, Martha Beck. Yes, that thing you just said, that is what I think we're, we're really getting towards now. I agree with that. What, what's it scared of? Um, it's scared of being dismantled. Yeah. If we can, as you know, in the immortal words of uh, Audre Lorde, the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. If we, you, I think the the tools that we get from experiencing our biggest emotions, we find them in ourselves. We are forged as as a kind of tool ourselves, and then that tool doesn't build up the master's house. It starts to break things down, yeah. and that. You know, it, it's interesting. You can see it um, in Radical Love, Valerie Core. You could see it in Nelson Mandela. You could see it in Gandhi. I mean, the classic examples. But the master's house does not want to be dismantled, either in our own egos or in the outside world. Right. And so I think part of the sideshow is there's, I think that part of what the culture wants us to think is that the way to dismantle it is to reproduce it, right? And, mm, yeah. you know, like, and so this is where you talk about revolution as just being the replacing of one system with another very similar system. In all Identical system, different players. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and that's the kind of model that we have in that masculine power frame, right? Um, there was something that John Lennon said once, and he was talking about nonviolence, but he says, uh, when it gets down to having to use violence, then you're playing the systems game. The establishment mm -hmm. will irritate you, pull your beard, flick your face to make you fight because once they've got you violent, then they know how to handle you because you're the same Ooh. as them, right? Oh, and that is, that's the system. Right. And so be be the, be identical to me and I can, I will, the house always wins, right? But right. if you can embody a completely different sort of power, yeah. then, uh, you know, which, anything can happen. Which is why after Valerie Kaur gave that speech, the, the darkness of the, of the womb rather than the darkness of the tomb, she, it, a recording of it went out and got 40 million hits and she got very, very frightening death threats. Yeah. Talking about a woman giving birth. <laughs> like, we can't have that. We will kill you for saying that. Because yeah. she does it in a big way. And she lets her, she lets big emotion flow through that. And it pulls you in. And it pulls you right out of your left brain hemisphere where everything is polarized and there's everything is us against them. And it brings you into what she calls radical love, where there is revolutionary present, love. A revolutionary love. Okay. Um, there is not a black and white world. There is a world of full color. There is not us and them. Every person is different. Every person is connected. Um, there is no 
rigid formula for anything. There is only this, there is only all. And feeling pain, feeling anger, feeling grief, feeling joy, feeling love, feeling all those things is a skill that many ancient cultures taught people to invite, to get still in your body, to sit with your emotions and not run from them and let the feelings come and be productive. I mean, sitting in a, in a heat ceremony, a, a Navajo sweat lodge, the idea is to, for, for the pain to become intolerable the emotional pain to become intolerable because the body is so uncomfortable and you will not move away from the heat source mm. and people are vomiting and people are screaming and it's considered part of using big emotion to become huge enough to handle the incredible emotional um, highs and lows of this existence mm. and come out as a more compassionate human. So big feelings are, are kind of like the, like express fully expressing and and allowing our big feelings is is like the the path to the tra the transformation yeah. right like yeah in dante's terms it's going you're in the forest of confusion and the only way out is through hell and uh but that's fine because that's only a third of the journey mm. and everybody reads dante's inferno and they don't read the second and third books where it's about uh, coming into wholeness because you've let yourself be completely broken mm -hmm. by the inferno and then going to a level that is actually beyond anything you've imagined, going into the paradiso, which is uh, where you realize what you actually are, which is a, a set of feelings so big it transcends the physical completely. Yeah. So if we don't completely fall apart, and in and you mean it quite literally as well. Like yeah. you know, you 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 break down, you shatter into pieces. You allow yourself to shatter into all those pieces. Um, that's the only way to become whole. Because before you've done that, you're not whole. You're confused, <laughs> right? Right. And when you're you've wandering around, yeah. When you've completely, completely broken, and then you still exist, which is a theme in all shamanic traditions. Mm. What's left of you? is a healing space in which you are safe and the whole world is safe. Oh my God, that hits so true. A heart oh, as wide as the world, they call it in Hinduism. God, it's interesting. It's um, just that idea of I am a healing space because I, I have completely fallen apart and become whole. Yeah. What they say, just to kind of come full circle on the toddler thing, is that they say that, um, you know, when you have a big reaction to a tantrum, you're saying to your toddler, this experience that you're having that is so scary and overwhelming for you, that's why we see it come out that way, because it's too big for your body to contain. This experience that you're having is as scary to me, your parent, as it is to you. You're right to be that freaked out and you reinforce the sense of insecurity. Whereas if you're just like mood, <laughs> right? <laughs> I get it. Let me sit down here nearby, not too nearby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, just to avoid the missiles. But um, yeah. And just like, yeah, this doesn't scare me. Yeah. Fine. And once it's only by letting the big feelings 
really pass through us that we become a space so calm that someone can completely collapse within our, the circle of our compassion and not frighten us. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Because then we're not, re we're not recreating the culture and suppress, suppress, suppress. I have to say something that I've just written into this book about anxiety. And I really want to say it as we sort of say goodbye, because I always think, all right, readers, sit down and let's talk about what you're feeling. And then I always have to put in there after coaching a zillion people, you are going to feel things. Do not be afraid of the feeling. Even you are going to feel afraid. Don't be afraid of feeling afraid. It's okay. It's a transmutational force. You'll get through it. It's okay to be afraid of being afraid, but you don't have to be. Like there are levels and levels of mm. resistance to our feeling. And, and culture wants us to put all that resistance on. And as we drop resistance, we're going to territory culture doesn't train us to navigate. And that is the place with strong feelings. And it scares us because no one, people couldn't stand our tantrums. But, and yet, and yet yeah. without letting ourselves go there, we're never fully alive, right? There's a, um, <laughs> I don't know if I've mentioned Annie DeFranco, Poet Laureate of the show. <laughs> Um, I think you should just change your name to Ani DeFranco and go around saying things she has said. That's true. I will, and I will. That's how I will only speak in verse. Okay. Um, she she has a song where she says, um, "What we've got to do is we've got to get permission to play the song, so I don't always feel like an idiot reading right. out lyrics <laughs> that are meant to be sung." Um, just show me a moment that is mine. It's beauty blinding and unsurpassed. And I'm going to get in trouble with my accent. Okay. Can you read it, Marty? Because sure. I don't have, there's a problem with a rhyme and I can't pronounce something. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just show me a moment that is mine. It's beauty blinding and unsurpassed and make me forget every moment that went by and left me so half-hearted because I felt it so half-assed. Yeah, man. Yeah. And, and we're just going to, like, who wants to be half-hearted and who wants to yeah. express things half-assed? I want, and all you were doing in the grocery store is you really wanted to feel your whole ass. I yeah. Did. And I, too, want to feel my whole ass, my whole heart. It isn't mm -hmm. always fun, but it brings, it's what we're here for, I think. It forges <laughs> us into something extraordinary, something that can tolerate this world and even um, turn it into something beautiful and meaningful. Mm. And I want that. Oh, I want that too. Aww. All right. So, so here's to feeling our big feelings and falling apart and becoming a healing space in the world because all these things are a beautiful way to feel our whole ass. And yeah. to, to stay, stay wild. wild. We hope you're enjoying Bewildered. If you're in the USA and want to be notified when a new episode comes out, text the word WILD to 570-873-0144. We're also on Instagram. Our handle is Bewildered Podcast. You can follow us to get updates, hear funny snippets and outtakes, and chat with other fans of the show. Bewildered is produced by Scott Forster with support from the brilliant team at MBI. And remember, if you're having fun, please rate and review and stay wild.
You know, what I'm seeing out in the world is a lot of fear and a growing amount of despair. Maybe you're feeling that way too, because the ways our culture has taught us to navigate the world, to navigate our lives, they are failing us. We need a new language. We need a new set of tools to find our way individually and as a group. And I know we can still do this. I put everything I do know about it into Wayfinder Life Coach Training. And the tools that I teach there are to help people redefine how we relate to each other, how we make a living, how we do community. We can only change the world for the better if we redefine how we think and the world needs Wayfinders now more than ever. So please go to MarthaBeck.com and you'll find your way.